So Money Episode 610, Douglas Bonaparte, co-author of The Millennial Money Fix. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome to the show, August 9th, 2017. I am your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. And on our show today, we have a 32-year-old certified financial planner, who deeply knows the financial struggles of his generation. Douglas Bonaparte and his wife, Heather, grappled with $300,000 in combined student loan debt. They somehow managed to overcome it, and now they want to support their fellow peers, their generation, and teach them how to take better control of their money. They've co-authored a new book, called The Millennial Money Fix, and it dives into the challenges they faced and also offers a step-by-step guide on how to take control of your finances. Douglas talks about his financial practice, why he's catering to millennials, a generation that doesn't really have a lot of money to invest. He shares the key strategies that helped him and his wife conquer their six-figure debt. Also, his best advice for young adults on the path to financial independence. Here's Douglas Bonaparte. Douglas Bonaparte, welcome to So Money. You're going to help all the millennials on the line this morning and this afternoon, whenever you're tuning in, middle of the night. Welcome to So Money. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You have a book called The Millennial Money Fix. Is it really fixable? I mean, listen, student loans, catastrophe, right? I got people writing into me with six-figure loans. They can't find jobs, some of them. They're living in their parents' basement. And that's not even to be funny. I mean, this is real. This is the real situation for some young people right now and some people in their 30s even. What's the good news? Tell us. Well, it is very real, like you said. And the good news is it can be fixed. My wife and I are living proof of that. And as hopefully you'll read the millennial money fix and see exactly the kind of student loan debt that we, we're dealing with. So well, well into the six figures. And hopefully leading by example here, we can show you that indeed there is a fix. You can work your way out of that. You can navigate your life and achieve the great things in life despite having uh, a large amount of student loan debt. So that's the good, that's the good part. Right. And I know there's not really a one-size-fits-all prescription for all of us who are dealing with our various financial situations. So tell us how you and your wife, Heather, are managing the six figures in the student loans, or maybe you are have managed them. But tell us how you kind of got through that, and we can learn from your example. Sure. I, I think the first step is emotional reconciliation. So we set up psychological roadblocks for achievement by dwelling on the fact that, oh my goodness, I have such a large amount of student loan debt. You become debilitated. You stop becoming proactive and you stop fighting the good fight. So if you first can put yourself in a position to overcome that block, to wrap your head around that debt and realize it's just a number and it's something that can be tackled. And look, you might have to make sacrifices. You might have to do things that are uncomfortable today in order to 
have a more comfortable future tomorrow. But that's the first step that I see. One great way uh, to start tackling your student loan debt is to get organized. It's very easy to be the ostrich and stick your head in the dirt and want to tune everything out. But that's certainly not the way to go. Who was more emotionally entangled, you or your wife? And and because someone has to be the bigger emotional coach, right? right? Who who lifted the other person Mm up? Well, so so Heather was the more emotional one, and the book goes into why that is, and it's basically predicated on making a very big financially uh, misinformed decision. And for her, it became this entire emotional thing got wrapped up into what was going on in the recession. You know, this is the choice she made to start a career in the legal field, only to watch that kind of implode on her and. The book goes through how maybe if she was financially informed, maybe if she was financially educated, she would have made a better decision or a different decision when it came to financing her degree. So that that's one of the key things that, that we want to get across is how to make uh, the decisions around money. And for many, it's before they even make that uh, decision to spend a lot of money on higher education. How do we actually think about a return on investment? It's, right. it's not as simple so as important. a formula. So important. If we could just go back in time, and frankly, anyone who comes to me now with interests in majoring in or getting a law degree or a business degree, or I'm like, look, you better love this. Like, it is your passion yeah. with a capital P. And and even then, I'm like, please choose a school that is a value proposition that, you know, you're going to go and you'll obviously you know, have to spend money to go there unless you get a full scholarship, right. but it has to offer a return on investment. Please, please, for the love of God, I've turned people away from law school and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, uh, the truth is, this- yeah, you see, I see, I mean, especially in tough times when you're coming out of school and the market is crap, like it was for me in 2002, a lot of my friends... Right hid away in law school thinking, well, it's a, what can go wrong? I'm going to come out with a law degree. And in the meantime, the economy will fix itself and I'll get a job. We saw, yeah. And for Heather, it was the other way around. It was, you know, we, we came out of undergrad in 2007 and everything was great. I mean, that was right before, you know, the brink of the sky falling. And that was the decision that a lot of my friends and her friends and people I know made to go continue their college education or continue their educational process in hopes of getting those jobs. And, and interesting, we parallel my decision to go to business school after, you know, uh, years after um, this, this happened to Heather. And we parallel those two, what it's like to make uh, the decision not being informed and what it's like to make a six-figure student debt decision being fully informed. So hopefully the reader will see you know, how it's done right and how it's done debatably wrong. Mm. Well, let's focus on more solutions. And then I want to learn about you and Heather a little bit more intimately and your financial philosophies. I know that you're a CFP and she's a lawyer. Going back to those of us who and you yourself who have or had six figures in debt, whether that's credit cards, student loans, a combination. It's not just enough sometimes to get in the right mindset and make a list and stay organized. That's obviously 
a necessity. You have to have that as part of your strategy. But mm-hmm. talk to me about coming to grips and terms with making real lifestyle changes, lifestyle shifts, mm-hmm. right? So if it means going back home and living with your parents, selling your property, selling your car, I, do you talk about that? Because I feel like that's really getting real, right? Well, we're talking a lot of money that you owe, mm-hmm. that you may owe for the next 40 years if you don't adjust accordingly, yeah. like really make these hard choices. How do you come to terms with that? And what are the things that people should be considering doing? Moving to another part of the country, considering a different career, taking on six jobs? What do they do? All of those are in play. I think they're going to be subjective to everyone and a great way to find out what's right for you. And remember how I said that sometimes you have to go into zones of being uncomfortable. Well, that might apply. That might not. It depends on your particular situation. But we come to setting up a goal system for people. Um, one time uh, someone came up to me and they're oh, you're a financial advisor. If, if you ask me what my goals are uh, or to identify my goals, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run the other way. I've been asked that time and time again. And, and I took that to heart. I realized that it might be cliche at this point for an advisor to say, hey, tell me about your goals. So I, we, we put a system in play here to help people actually navigate, not just through identifying what they are, but also being able to quantify them by time and value and then prioritize them by which are most important to you. And by extending the questions into those realms, we really have a system here that can help people get organized about what it is that they truly want. So you set this up and then you have clarity into how you're then going to make decisions around saving and spending. So the second piece of that is mastering cash flow. And for some reason, we tend to not want to put in the work here. You know, this is where we have to see what resources we have available to us. So you do these two exercises and you put yourself in a position to make these decisions a lot more easily than if you were just shooting from the hip. You know, you get it out of your head and you put the context down. So let's, let's give you an example. Let's say your goal is to just get out of your parents' uh, house or uh, anything. It's subjective. So you can pick what it is and you master your cash and you want to do that in the next two years and you find out it's going to take a thousand dollars a month or $500 a month, whatever the number is. Now you've set that up to add, and it's the most important thing above all else, right? So now you've set up a way to actually see what it takes. Now pivot over to cash flow. Take a look at what you're capable of doing based on what you make and what you spend and see if that's something that's there. Let's say it was $500 a month that you need for the next two years in order to move yourself into that position or achieve that goal. But it looks like you can only save $250 a month. Now you have to make the decision. Are, is there an ability to pull back on expenses and increase 250 to 500 Or do you need to be honest with yourself? and adjust that goal. Maybe now you need to push it out to four years in order to make that possible. Or you or maybe get a side gig. <laughs> yeah, that was the you next know? thing out of my mouth. Or maybe you sell some you things. Want that to hap- yeah, you want that to happen so much for yourself that you're willing to sell things, work two jobs, three jobs. Again, these are things that you want for yourself. These are your great things in life. You know, I'll shake my pom-poms for you, but I, I need you to get pumped and excited about that. But I have, you know, I have a little room in my heart for people who, you know, won't do this work, you know, and complain. You, you can't, you can't have it both ways. 
I like it. No babies allowed. Okay. None. Uh, Douglas, uh, this book that you wrote with your wife, it's a wonderful book and everyone should pick it up. Shameless plug. Um, But it is also a great vehicle for people to learn more about you and your business. So you are a certified financial planner. How are you adjusting and marketing to millennials? It's something that the big banks are trying to still figure out, the the more established firms and financial Mm -hmm. institutions who've been catering to boomers all this time and now like waking up to this idea (laughs) to millennials who, by the way, are skeptical, right, of traditional financial planning and the stock market. It's all very scary to them and um, untrustworthy. So how are you getting in front of this audience and convincing them that you're worth investing in? Right. So I have a couple things going for me that I think the rest of the investment or wealth management community doesn't have. The first thing I have is relatability. So I'm a millennial myself. All of these things that we're trying to solve and fix, I have skin in the game. Heather has skin in the game on, you know, it's practice what you preach. So you have a 32-year-old, 12 years of experience. I've had the good fortune of actually being around this business from a very early age. My dad's a certified financial planner. I spent many years at the beginning of my career working with him, ultimately just to move to New York and really want to do this on my own. And somewhere around three or four years ago, just at the end of business school and watching these emotional conversations and being part of them with my wife, it wasn't just her. It was really just being spread across the generation for all these high achieving, you know, going to be very successful um, peers of mine. And, you know, I was like, this, this has to stop. There, there has to be some solutions out there. Wait a minute. There's a market here. And also I'm in New York City. So there's, there's numbers, you know, to my advantage here. There's no shortage of these high achieving, high velocity millennials that I, I am so privileged to be working with every day. And they have real needs for real help and real value of someone that they can relate to. So being independent, having that experience, getting the credentials, CFP, all of these things, and you can go read the bio, all of these things kind of accumulated into being the perfect person to deliver this kind of message. And hence the book too, we we really wanted to share these stories with everybody so that they could uh, become empowered and make better decisions and achieve their great things in life. I love it. All right. So let's get to some so many questions. I want to pick your brain and find out more about how you think. Tell me, what is your money mantra? Is there a philosophy? There is. And that that was our tagline or is our tagline, invest in you. And it really has two meanings. The first is believing that the best investment that you can make is in yourself, that you have the ability uh, to earn the highest return possible. And then the second is that I and our firm, we will invest in you first and not the other way around. We want to see people putting themselves in the best position to make smart financial decisions. So what we'll do is we'll equip you with the tools that you need to succeed. We understand that not everyone is in a position to engage in comprehensive financial planning. So we have your back. We have so much content that we can share with you to get you to that point. So those two reasons are why we chose Invest in You. We believe um, that, you know, again, you are the best investment that you can make. Bank on yourself. Put yourself in that position to succeed. And do you work virtually with clients? Because I know some of the financial planners that I've interviewed and they understand that 
you know, young people today, they're transient. They don't go, they don't like my parents would love to walk into a boardroom with a beautiful mahogany desk and get (laughs) served, you know, a beverage of their choice and feel like they're in the lap of luxury getting their finances tabulated, but not so much a 25 year old today or 35 year old today for that matter. Yeah. I mean, you have to understand that whether it's 25 or 35 and 36 and I'm, I'm an older millennial, right? I, I, can't see it, but I made quotes. An older millennial, so naturally, I'm I'm working with a lot of the the older half of the generation. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of us are just way too busy to be schlepping down to my office to meet me face to face, especially when there's Skype, FaceTime, phone calls, and all this technology. So all these advisors that you've grown to love handling Gen X and Y and millennials, of course, we're going to leverage technology. But I think I think the bigger point is this: it's all about value whether you're catering to baby boomers and and they're going to see some harsh realities, at least advisors who are working with that crowd in terms of where the value is. But millennials kind of get this at least better than their um, older counterparts. And you have to deliver value to your client. And for millennials, that's going to be a lot less to do with investments and how to manage that. We, we know it's commoditized. We see the robos and that can be, you know, part of a hybrid model. But what you need to do is show where the value is. And that's through the planning. That's through the conversations, whether it's starting families, buying that first house, getting rid of student loan debt. You know, there's a very pivotal time in people's lives. So you can generate a lot of value as an advisor by focusing on those pieces and the planning pieces, which are so desperately needed, as well as the educational parts. Are millennials, do, are the goals similar to the, the previous generation in terms of buying a home and Getting yeah. married, and all, or so we hear about a lot of delay on these fronts. And is that just a financial hurdle Mostly. that they're trying to get over to essentially get the same things that their parents had? Yeah, yeah, and and it's just all the time. Like millennials only want to live in city uh, city centers. They don't they don't want home picket fences. They don't they don't want the traditional American dream. And I I think that's a bunch of crap. Um, I think millennials do want these things. We, we've seen it from our grandparents, our parents. I, I know I did. You know, I know I still wanted to, you know, buy a home in the suburbs and do the whole thing. And, and we did. Um, and I think millennials want the same. And I think it's a reason that they're being delivered on these things. And that, that's not good economically speaking. But yes, when you have, you know, $500 to $2,500 a month albatross around your neck sucking financial resources out of your bank account that would normally go towards these great things that you want to achieve in life. Yeah, it's no surprise that things are getting pushed out. Um, and also, I do, I do have some bias here, again, in New York City in that a lot of people are focusing very hard on their careers in their 20s and 30s. So through that, they're also uh, pushing things out. So take that, add it to the financial uh, reasons. And uh, at least from here, it's no surprise. Plus, we're living longer, 60s and new 30. So what's the rush? What's the rush? You can always, <laughs> what you know, is the rush? You can always do these things. So Douglas, you're really in the trenches with your clients. You can really relate to them, at least on a kind of financial hurdle level. You've gone through six figures of debt and you've managed that. There is a financial kind of regret or failure that you experienced. Uh, What was it? How did you work your way through it? Sure. So 
you know, this is what the book focuses a lot on. You know, I, I fell victim to the millennial problem, which is not being educated with, with my money, with handling finances that, you know, I took out student loan debt as an undergrad. And the reality is I, I probably didn't need to. I did well in high school and in, I'm from Florida. And if you do well enough, the Florida lottery system has a scholarship called Bright Futures. And it was great to a lot of, uh, of my friends and myself. We got educated nicely in Florida, but somehow, some way. I, I took out debt for undergrad. I still am working on that today. And I view that as a failure. It's something that did not need to happen. And it did. And that sets up, you know, this much larger problem that we see with $1.3 trillion in student loan debt. So I too, I too am the millennial problem. <laughs> That's a very honest uh, revelation. I mean, I don't hear a lot of financial planners go, I'm I'm part of the problem or I made a huge mistake, but it's part of your brand. I was, I was part of the problem. Now, now, obviously actively seeking the solution here. So, you know, we turn those problems into solutions. Uh, What about your so money moment? Was there a time that you felt like you had really just hit the the apex? And I know you're only 33, but, and there's many more so (laughs) many moments, hopefully in your future, but you know, a really proud moment that you had regarding your finances. Regarding my personal finance. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I think my so I think my my own so money moment was being able to move my family out to the suburbs and buy a house, and we did that in August of last year. And you have to understand the conversations between my wife and I, between Heather and I. Will we ever be able to buy a house? And, and we had a daughter, you know, the year before that, so things got real <laughs> very fast. And we had to solve some very logistic, you know, very uh, our, our life's logistical problems. Problems. Where are we going to live? Where is Hazel going to go to school? Daycare? Who? You know, all all of these things that just all of a sudden cascade upon you uh, when becoming parents. And despite having taken out that debt, I mean, we worked so hard, and we continue to work hard, and hopefully, we overcame a lot of at least financial adversity. Granted, I think we're a very soft generation compared to my grandparents and things like that, and the stuff that they had to do. But um, nonetheless, we came over these. Um, challenging financial obstacles and made one of the biggest goals in our life happen there. Um, And then right after that, I launched uh, my firm, Bonafide Wealth, and uh, that that was a big moment for me as well. So those those are my very, you know, kind of all in a short period of time, my so money moments. I love it. What's a habit that you practice, a money habit? Do you have an app that you love or uh, something that you practice weekly, habitually to help you with your finances? Absolutely. So um, I don't think there's, you know, there are apps that can help you with this. Everyone likes a Mint or a Quicken or whatever online tool. But lately, I've been kind of ranting against uh, uh, the use of them on, on the basis that, you know, shortcuts in personal finance are very dangerous. So the thing that I, I'm talking about, cash flow and understanding or reconciling your budget against what, what your actual cash flow was, I visit this uh, every quarter. And it's essential. I, again, I practice what I preach. I want to know where I'm going to be from a spending point of view and savings point of view at least three months out from where I am today. And there's just no shortcutting this. You have to put in this work. And, and if you do it and you do it frequently, practice makes perfect. It becomes effortless. You, you see your own cash flow. Like here's this will date me here. Like Neo sees the matrix. That was a cool movie. Um, but that's how you need to see that. And again, 
do the work, put in that work, be the benefit, uh, the beneficiary of that work and, and see, see how much better your financial life becomes just on that one alone. Because the revelations you'll have looking at your cash flow are priceless. I mean, I did this, I don't do it as probably habitually as you do, or I, or I should, but you're inspiring me. But I mean, like, I remember one time I looked at how much I was spending on just seamless.com, which I'm sure you're aware of in New York City and <laughs> oh, large yeah. cities. It's like, uh, oh, yeah. it's too convenient. You type in, you know, what you're in the mood for to eat oh, and yeah. it comes to your door 30 minutes later, I'll pay through your credit card. It's like Uber for eating. And it's amazing. I mean, this was my second largest expense after my mortgage. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Every month. It makes sense. New and York City and food, New York City food, you know. I mean, a girl's got to eat, go, but really, hand did, hand. Yeah. yeah, does she have to eat hand. seamless? Or, and, and oh gosh, so that put a stop to that addiction. And it wasn't even an addiction. Mm-hmm. It was just, uh, as they say, um, it had crept into my life, you know, in a way that was, well, you don't feel it, right? And you're you're happy when you get the food. And it's uh, one of those things that you don't realize until you look at the numbers. So- yeah, you had to be honest with yourself. Right. And, and and again, you know, this, <laughs> it's not sexy. Budgeting, cash flow, nothing <laughs> fun about it. I, I'm I'm a very self-aware financial advisor. Some of the things I'm saying are, you know, you're not going to do cartwheels down the street. Like, oh, I did. If you did, you know, uh, you have a special place in my heart. But you got to you got to take the steps here and realize that this is going to set up some very honest conversations to have with yourself with your significant other and the book's going to touch on that a lot you have to be honest again you can't have it both ways you you know and i i say to my clients all the time i'm not the financial advisor that's going to tell you how to spend your money if a bagel and latte every morning is what gets you out of bed so you can go crush it at your job and get that upward mobility you're looking for don't stop bagel and latte time. But if you're going out to fancy restaurants every night, I sincerely doubt that's what's making you crush it. That's probably excessive. <laughs> you need to look at that and say, wow, I should probably rein that in, you know, right. maybe once a week, right. you know, or special occasions if it fits in your budget. But again, compare what you're spending against those goals and that goal exercise I mentioned. It's all right there in front of you. Be honest with yourself. Take the necessary steps to either change your behavior or change your goals. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, I'm going to share one expense. I've a recent expense that has that maybe others would think I'm crazy to spend my money on this, but you know what? It has helped me be more productive and kill it, and crush it at work. Um, <laughs> a a nanny at night. Uh, basically, oh, yeah. you they call them night nurses, wet nurse. I mean, uh-huh. there's a lot of different baby nurse. My daughter is, you know, you're a new dad. I, this is, I'm on baby yeah. number two and sh- thank you. She is fantastic, but for a while she had trouble falling asleep at night mm-hmm. to the point where it wasn't even enough to rock her. She wanted you to like go across the house back and yeah, forth they, they, on they your They want feet. you to work. They, they want yeah, you to work yeah, for they it. They know. They somehow, babies somehow know when they you're like not being working high up. for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's, I, yeah, it's either that or they just know like how to drain your energy. Like they feel your energy being right. drained and that's what soothes them. And look, I'm not the first parent that has ever had to go through sleepless nights. And I went through sleepless nights with my first son, but for some reason now, it, it just was making me miserable, a miserable person during the day, a miserable person yeah. at night. I was not ha- not nice to be around. And 
I just decided to um, invest, really, because it's an investment in a more capable, energetic, experienced person to come in at night to feed my daughter and put her back to sleep and get her on some sort of schedule. And we are, I feel like we're all on vacation. We're not really, but being able to sleep, listen, sleep is not overrated. Okay. Critical. Get the sleep people. I'm going to pass the torch to you, the baton. Tell me what's an expense that you splurged on that has made your life easier, better, all of the above. So you and I are running in, in parallel tracks, it seems, although you, you double downed on the uh, whole child experience, uh, it seems. But we lately, I've, I've become kind of obsessed with time and just the whole function of time. And, you know, it's one of the most important things that we have in our lives behind um, our health, you know, family, time, and then money. So third most important thing here. And these opportunities to increase your productivity or get sleep so you can be productive, not to copycat you, but the biggest splurge um, lately has been on care for our child. And for us, that was a nanny to, you know, take care of Hazel four hours a, a day for two days so to pick her up from, from school, you know, quote unquote school um, or daycare. Harvard. And, yeah. You um, know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Little get Hazel. her to bed. <laughs> those, those two nights for, for my wife and I said, <laughs> you know, finish a book. I mean, here we are, we're working professionals, both of us. We have to commute to and from the city. We're writing a book on top of all this. I mean, we, we just bit off more than we could chew. Um, and, and I have no problem saying that. There are limits to your hustle. Um, and when Hazel wasn't just like you described, there, there were months where we, we had to get her back into a sleep routine. We became miserable, miserable people. So I second that. You know, that, that to mm-hmm. me is a no-brainer which is finding ways to maximize your time, not so you can binge watch Netflix shows, but so you can, you know, get to the thing that you hopefully love that's making either you money or helping you get towards your financial goal. That, that is an excellent uh, place. I rather answer that than some, uh, you know, material materialistic thing. And I like my things that, that I bought to remind (laughs) me of what a good job I did. Um, You know, some of those two. Good answer. Good answer. So we're on the same page with that. I like that. I knew I, I, knew I would like Completely. you. Douglas, oh, thanks. thanks for coming on the show. Everyone, um, check out uh, bonafidewealth.com and congrats on the, congratulations on the book. And we will uh, wish you guys ongoing success. Well, thank you so much for having uh, me on here and uh, look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Likewise. Thanks so much to my guest, Douglas, for stopping by. Congrats on your new book, The Millennial Money Fix. If you'd like to learn more about his practice, go to bonafidewealth.com. Douglas is also on Twitter at Doug Bonaparte. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com. And while you are there, please send me your thoughts, your money questions. Click on Ask Farnoosh. You can either leave a voicemail or type in your question. And that all gets entered into our mailbag for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money.